A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, a.k.a. problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Hopix is out. Jared Kushner is downgraded. And Trump changes his tune on guns. We talk about an active week in Washington and take some listener questions on today's show. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode, everybody. We wanted to say again that we have a new, a little new baby, a new podcast called The Nuance Life. Often we get into conversations about wider culture, be it masculinity, be it religion, be it parenting, and they just sometimes don't fit in pantsuit politics. So we have a new home for them at The Nuance Life. We've been having some amazing discussions about life and marriage, friendship, loneliness. So if you're interested in sort of more wide-ranging, less political conversations, then go check out The Nuance Life on your podcast player. I love this new baby. I, I understand now why. You can't have multiple children and love them differently, and I I really am enjoying these discussions. I hope that you guys will come over and check them out. It's so funny. If I had a dollar for everyone in my life who comes up and is like, now listen, I, 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 did love pan- I do love pantsuit politics, but I really love The Nuance Life. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> We also want to make sure that you're on our email list if you aren't there already. You can do that on our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. If you are one of our Patreon supporters, at certain levels, we have different levels of content for you. And you can get an extra email midweek where we write after show reflections and send out other special content. So check it out. And this is where I put, I'm a pretty prolific reader, and I put all the books I read inside the Saturday email so that if you want to know what Sarah is reading to get to her 75 book a year reading goal, that's where you're going to find it. So we're going to talk a little bit about the bipartisan meeting with President Trump on gun violence, just all of the personnel drama unfolding in the Trump administration. And then after our break, we will talk a little bit about Eric Greitens, the governor of Missouri, and a listener question about a Twitter thread on what it means to be conservative in 2018. So often in my life, I wonder, what would an episode of The Apprentice look like if it was filled with United States senators instead of reality show contestants? And I got an answer. (laughs) 
It was a fascinating meeting. I, so many things. Well, the funniest thing is my cousin texted me and was like, Diane Feinstein is amazing. She brought him a card with a graphic on it. You can see his face change when she was like, she was very gently guiding him through this conversation. (sighs) This is a struggle. Beth and I were having this conversation beforehand. How much do I think Trump cares about anything outside of himself? How much is it just a, he only cares as it reflects on him? It's a tough call. I do feel like he seems to have sincerely shifted on guns. Now, again, is that just because he wants to be seen as the person that fixes it? I don't know. I think he is affected by the stories. I think there is a part when, when especially when somebody dies or a child is harmed, like you can see it with the, the crimes committed by undocumented workers and the Syrian chemical attacks and this. I, th- I, I think he does have a pressure point, an actual human empathetic pressure point. It is small. It is not unconnected to his ego. But I think it exists. This meeting was a strange decision to me because you couldn't watch it without remembering, oh, they had the same meeting about DACA. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. And nothing got done. No, I mean, it's so sweet, but like the House isn't going to pass any of this. Well, and, and in fact, a day or two after that meeting on DACA, the president said some horrible things and totally reversed the person that he appeared to be in that meeting. I understand that, look, I like the concept of let's get everybody together, bipartisan, bicameral. This is <laughs> Bring in the TV are. cameras. Well, <laughs> uh, TV cameras aside... This kind of discussion is what those of us who have wanted a business leader in the White House to do more of, right? This is a, this is an executive type function. Okay, I'm going to get these people together. I'm going to give them some of my thoughts. I'm going to give them some direction. I'm going to say, go off and write me some legislation. And he doesn't have to be an expert on any particular policy matter to do that well. The problem is, one... It doesn't convert, as we've seen before. If that DACA meeting produced really great results, then this could become his thing. We got a crisis? Okay, I'm going to get everybody together. We're going to have a conference about it. They're going to go off and produce legislation. I'm going to sign it. Done, done, done. Mm -hmm. But that is not what has happened so far. And the second thing, and I don't want to be just bashing on the president to bash on the president. He just doesn't ask good questions. (laughs) And that is the skill set of a leader in a meeting like that. He does not have to know every nook and cranny of gun policy and proposed policy, but he needs to ask good questions, and he doesn't do that. Instead, he makes foolish statements. Speaking of Dianne Feinstein, you could see her explaining to him that you can legally purchase assault weapons. I'm not sure he knew that, and I understand fully the concern. I don't want to get – I don't want to go too far down this path that – Assault weapons as a category is very frustrating to gun owners yes. because of the, the physical weaponry. And we are going to talk about that soon, but not today. The point is, <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't ask for the right kinds of questions, and then he kind of stumbles into things. And then you have members of Congress barely able to contain their facial expressions, helping him understand very rudimentary things. I'm cool with them not controlling their facial expressions. I mean, here's the thing. I feel myself falling for his shtick. Like, I feel myself falling for this, like, I create good TV. Isn't it awesome to sit around and listen to everybody make these deals? And then here's what I kept thinking about. He does make good TV. He is capable of that. He has skills. One of them is making good TV. But in The Apprentice, when he made good TV, or he saw what would appeal to people's most base emotions, he then had a team of producers who went out and created that storyline, right? So he said they're fired, or I think this one will make the good villain, or whatever, and then they went out and they created that. And he cannot wrap his brain around the fact that you can't create a storyline like that in Washington, D.C. I mean, you can if you have an amazing set of political skills and an amazing set of political teams surrounding you. He does not have that. And so, like, you know, there's a part of me that's like, you're on to something, buddy. But you don't have the producers in place to make that happen. That's your problem, right? I do think he sees that Americans want this. I do. I, I know I'm going to get some mean tweets about this. I honestly believe he wants better with regards to gun violence. I don't think Donald Trump is a psychopathic monster who wants children gunned down in schools. I don't think a lot of good things about Donald Trump, but I don't think he's that. And so 
Like, I see it, but I'm just like, you don't get it, buddy. Like, this isn't, you don't have a producer that can just go make this and cut it and, you know, play with reality and edit the way you can in TV. This is not television. Now, you can still create TV, good TV in D.C. We saw it yesterday. But, like, you have to have a team in place to actually get the policy through to know how to pull these levers and this incredibly huge, complicated government. And you don't have that. I agree with all of that. I also think as a student of reality television on The Apprentice, part of what made the boardroom interesting to watch was that Trump was not the only person leading those meetings. True. He had advisors with him, and they are the people who ask intelligent questions. They are the people who really shed light on the business decisions that the contestants were making. And this I'm talking about like way back early apprentice days yeah. before it became just a circus. But getting to some of the substance of what he said, I am deeply troubled by this president's understanding of how our justice system works. The comment about take the guns first and have due process later. Due process later is like an oxymoron. Just putting those words together. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't mean to make light, but it just there's something about the whole watching all these United States senators being treated like kids with the principal. I just it was too much for me. I'm sorry. So there are like so many things to say that it's hard to know what is worth saying that hasn't been said before. I do just continue to come back to my concern that in the process of trying to make good progress that would keep each other safer, we are seriously ignoring how dangerous it is to start talking about mental health in really sweeping generalizations, especially when it comes to limiting people's rights because of suspected mental health issues. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the, just the way he keeps talking about mental institutions back in the day and how that was really I just, mm, friend, stop doing that. Here's the other thing, though, I will say about this. This meeting and his participation in this conversation is, I think, incredibly destabilizing to the NRA and their power within the Republican Party. And in that respect, I think it's great. When they don't have a Republican president towing the line, for all intents and purposes, undermining that narrative, even if he can't get it passed, I st- I'm going to take that. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to take that as progress. We are definitely about to learn a lot about the most powerful cultural forces mm-hmm. because this squarely presents a conundrum for people who have been Trump loyalists and NRA loyalists. This is a tough line to walk. I mean, Breitbart is taking him to task on this in a very big way. And you can see kind of the social media freak out about Mm -hmm. it. And I'm just very curious to see if the folks who believe in Trump also believe in guns or where the kind of mix takes everybody. Yeah. I feel like the way in which Trump supporters maintain their support is very like sort of zero tolerance, solidified, no chinks in the armor, kind of like we support everything we do. He's imperfect, but he's doing the right things and the policy is right. And that's what matters to us. And so even though he he goes off policy all the time with DACA and with this and with immigration. So it's just interesting to see how they how they will navigate these waters because he's coming pretty strong on gun policy in direct opposition to a lot of his base. So what happens when they can't maintain this whole he's the perfect he's an imperfect messenger but everything he does is great so we don't care. I don't know, it'll be interesting. And it may be that nothing happens here and yeah. on the policy he does stick with them. We'll see. So there's been a lot of changes in the Trump administration this week as well. His communications director, Hope Hicks, resigned. This is hilarious because Politico literally named her like the most powerful person in Washington, D.C. two weeks ago. So I guess I need to reexamine that list. She had recently testified before the House Intelligence Committee for like eight hours. And it had come out that she admitted to saying some white lies on behalf of the president. But I don't really think this was about that. I don't think she was forced out. I think girlfriend was tired because she doesn't have any experience in any of this. She was like a part-time PR exec for Ivanka and became his most trusted advisor and was like thrust into this incredibly stressful, incredibly overwhelming role for which she was not prepared or qualified. 
So I don't think it's surprising that she's like, I'm done. I'm out of here. She was never a communications director. No. Really. She doesn't do television interviews. I mean, she's just <laughs> communications is not what she does. No. I think what she does. I don't does even know. Is, I've never heard her talk, I don't think. I Googled and found like a couple of clips of her speaking at different events, but it is very limited. So communication's not her thing. I mean, what she was, I think, was a very close confidant of the president. And some people refer to her as the Trump whisperer. And I don't think that should be taken in a derogatory way. That is an important role for any very powerful leader. The president of the United States should have somebody like that who calms him down, who helps him understand what's being said in the world about him and what his message needs to be. And so I think that there has been a lot of discussion about Hope Hicks that is condescending because she is a young woman. Mm hmm. The flip side of that is that Hope Hicks was not, I don't think she was irrelevant to what's happening in the United States. I think it's right of Politico to talk about how powerful she is. I think that's absolutely true. And I don't have one bit of sympathy for her. Yeah. Yep. She put herself in this position. She has helped him every step of the way. She is 100% complicit in whatever the Trump administration has accomplished to this point. Yep. And so Hope Hicks is a is a human being, an adult woman, and she can make her own decisions. And I can't imagine that anyone working in this administration would want to leave soon. That's true of any administration. Working in the White House is hard. Yeah. This is terrible. And so I don't know what her reasoning is. I don't know what this will do in terms of her cooperation or non-cooperation with the Mueller investigation. But let us not treat her like a child. I think it's going to be incredibly difficult for them to find a replacement. I just hope it's not Stephen Miller. Because I don't think they're going to get anybody. New. Who's going to step into this White House with all these investigations, honestly? I don't know. The white lies comment was, to me, a really difficult way to talk about something very hard. And I don't know where it leaves Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I wonder if they'll make her communications director. I don't know. You know, she has, I think, the worst job in all yes. of this because she has to deal with it every single day. But also, and it's complicit. Brutal. Right. I mean, she's choosing it. A hundred percent. She is choosing it. When you have your communications director say, yes, I'm part of white lies on the president's behalf. And then your press secretary is the person who has to go out and take questions about that. That's a horrible position to be in. Yeah. yeah. So I'd be looking for exit stage right if I were her. But I yeah. would have been a long time ago. Yeah. Seriously. Well, speaking about being in a tough position, Jeff Sessions, how much abuse are you willing to take, buddy? Let's let's be real about this. I'm not so sure you could take much more. New York Magazine has a really thorough encapsulation of how the president has treated his attorney general that we'll link in our show notes. The newest frustration of the president with Jeff Sessions is that he believes the Department of Justice should commence an investigation into what he characterizes as potential massive FISA abuse. This is related to the Nunes memo and the Schiff memo, which we've talked about in the past couple of episodes. Jeff Sessions has referred any potential FISA warrant mishandling to the Inspector General of the United States rather than the Department of Justice. The Inspector General exists to – here's the mission. I'm just going to read the mission from the website. Detect and deter waste, fraud, abuse, and misconduct in DOJ programs and personnel and to promote economy and efficiency in department operations. Inspector General has 450 special agents, auditors, inspectors, attorneys, and support staff. I can imagine that those folks are busy these days. Hmm. And that does seem to be the proper place for this to go. And Jeff Sessions unusually defended himself against what the president said and then had a kind of public dinner with Rod Rosenstein. Yeah. It's weird. That at least signed the show of solidarity to me. Here's the thing, because I've I don't know if I've been easy on President Trump. I've had vaguely not mean things to say. So let me say a mean thing. No way this dude understands FISA or the difference between the inspector general and the Justice Department. So somebody definitely told him to say that. I just want to get that off my chest. It also just feels to me like distracting, 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 distracting. Or just hitting Jeff Sessions just because he can't. He just like likes to punch down on that dude, which I'm not, I don't feel sorry for Jeff Sessions, but I think that he is so mad he cannot fire him that it's just going to get worse. I think that's really what this is about more than anything. He's just... He doesn't like to feel powerless. He really wants to fire him. He can't. And he's mad about it. It's really difficult to view President Trump without thinking about Richard Nixon these days. 
I know I got to listen to that's next on my list. As soon I'm almost done with more perfect, I'm going to listen to Slow Burn. So many of y'all have recommended the new podcast about Watergate that I'm definitely going to listen to it soon. It's really good. And I think what it illuminates as far as Richard Nixon's psyche is a lot of what you see with the president. He just wants to control everything. He wants everybody to be loyal to him in an unquestioning way. He doesn't understand that the attorney general is not his personal lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you see with Jeff Sessions. I am no fan of Jeff Sessions. I would have voted against his confirmation because I think the way that he views people who are not white is abhorrent. That said, I do think Jeff Sessions understands the structure of our government and understands his (laughs) place in it. I'm willing to give him that begrudgingly. (laughs) I think he understands what history will look like if he does not handle these very serious ethical matters appropriately. And Jeff Sessions is advanced in years. This is not a person who's going to be running for Senate again, presumably. So I think he gets... What is at stake for him in conducting himself with integrity in this office? And that's a that is a strong wall if it holds for the president to be running up against. Well, speaking of ethically problematic people within the Trump administration, shall we talk about Jared Kushner? I am going to try to maintain some sort of reasonable approach to this conversation. But let me just put this out here. I cannot stand Jared Kushner on a deeply visceral level. Because? Oh, because <laughs> I think that Jared Kushner does not care about anything but Jared Kushner. And not in a, like, buffoon, ego-driven way like Donald Trump. In a incredibly calculating, incredibly cynical, oh, I just think that he is in this to get as much money as he can out of his father-in-law's position for his own personal financial gain and is willing to bend the law, doesn't care how it hurts the country, and I cannot stand him. My husband was like, wouldn't it be wonderful if he went to jail and Chris Christie didn't? Because Chris Christie put his father in jail, for the, all of y'all that don't know. His father went to jail for, I believe, campaign fraud, campaign donations and fraud, and it was Chris Christie who put him in jail. And Chris Christie's... Uh, Surprisingly or not, because I do think Chris Christie is pretty freaking smart, got out of any sort of jail time or indictments despite his clearly corrupt administration. So if he gets off and Jared Kushner goes to jail, that would be some karmic justice right there. It seems incredibly unlikely to me that Jared Kushner ends up in jail. I don't know. With this news cycle, with the they were giving him loans, you have Citigroup and I think it was uh, it was like a, what was it called? Atomic. It was another private equity group giving him loans, bigger loans than they've ever given after they came to the White House. What the heck? And all these foreign governments saying they were purposely meeting with him and they knew that they could manipulate his role in their governments and his financial positions to basically get more favorable positions from the United States government. What the heck? This is what I stay upset about. Whatever happens with the Mueller investigation, to me, does not negate the fact that every single day we have an ethical nightmare occurring in this country, the likes of which we have not seen before. And it is blatant. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist. No. Just look at the rent. Pick up the newspaper and follow where the president is physically locating himself and know that this family is taking taxpayer money. Like they are fleecing the United States in plain sight. Oh, my gosh. I cannot believe my earphones are not melting right now that there are flames coming out of my ear. I I honestly, can I just be honest? I almost avoid it because it makes me so angry and it makes me feel so powerless that I cannot see straight. Well, and as someone who has voted for Republicans my entire adult life, because I care about good stewardship of taxpayer dollars, I am disgusted that this is not a focus. I get that it's not as interesting and as easy to manipulate as all of the other ethical stories that there are to talk about here. But this is the one that is so clear-cut and is such an anathema to what our government should function like. I mean, this is so corrupt that it infuriates me. And when I think about the family's willingness to do this so brazenly, what comes to mind for me in connection with stories about Kushner's security clearance being downgraded and lots of other people's being downgraded, Mm -hmm. by the way, 
Jared Kushner now has the same level of security clearance that like three million people in the United States have. I read an article that said the entire population of Los Angeles has this level of security clearance. That's how many people we're talking about. It is nothing. And he still sits in the White House every single day. So knowing the profit motive that is so clear with these people, I do not trust them to have the discipline to honor these security clearances. No. And and I do not trust them not to use information that they have learned in ways that will profit them as well. This kind of constant objective of enrichment is my fundamental problem with the administration. You could take away the tweeting, take away the Russia story. You can delete everything that we've been talking about for the past year, and they are still robbing us in plain sight every day, and it makes me angry. Oh, and here's the thing. Like, I find Donald Trump Jr. so offensive, and Eric, I mean, they're the worst. But at least they have the self-respect not to work in the White House and pretend like they're serving the people of the United States when they are clearly only there to meet their financial benefit. Here's how I feel about the overlap between this and the Russian investigation, and I definitely think there is overlap. These people did not think they were going to win. They just didn't. And so the idea that they that Jared Kushner was trying to set up secret lines, secure lines with the Russian government and having all these meetings because he had a foreign policy goal is ludicrous. He didn't have a foreign policy goal. He didn't care because they didn't think they were going to win. The only reason they were communicating with China and Russia and the reason he continues to try to get meetings with Mexico is because he has financial interest in those countries. That was the only reason that there whatever sort of collusion there was I don't even really think it was about getting dirt on Hillary Clinton. I think it was about doing the bidding of the Russian government because they had financial interest there. And so that's what just, oh, makes my blood boil. Like he is just trying to get loans, get deals and make more money. That's it. That's the entirety of what's happening here. I I think that's right. I really do. I I don't think that treason has ever been the objective. I think that greed has been the objective. Well, I don't know. I kind of sort of. It depends on how you define treason. Do I define treason as exploiting the United States government for your own financial gain? I mean, in my own personal life, yeah, I'd call that treason. And here's what I want to say. This is not, I am not saying that a wildly successful financially person cannot be the president of the United States. Clearly that has happened before and it will likely happen again. What I am saying is that if you find yourself in that position where you say, I have made a lot of money in my life and now I'm going into public service, I think that's great. You need to bend over backward to avoid the appearance of problems. And this isn't the appearance. The United States government is writing checks to Trump properties. Mm -hmm. The Secret Service is having to stay at Mar-a-Lago. It's just also blatant in the fact that no one talks about it consistently from Republicans. The fact that Republicans in Congress aren't beating the drum on this every single day, it just offends me. It really Yeah, and the fact that they're like, oh, let's talk about Ben Carson's dining set. Yeah, okay, fine. And I'm pissed that Ben Carson bought that, and I'm pissed that Scott Pruitt, the EPA, flies first class, and all that stuff is crap. It's all crap. But, like, seriously, what did you think is going to trickle down from a White House that has the Chinese government paying the millions of dollars in rent every year? Like, Hello, that's the, 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 like Trey Gowdy sending this letter about freaking Ben Carson's dining room set. You got bigger fish to fry here, friend. Yeah, that's like talking about pennies lost in the couch cushions compared to what's going on with this administration. And also, while we're on the subject of Jared Kushner, I would also like to address his lovely wife and her disdain for a question about her father's sexual harassment. Yes, if you were answering questions only as your position as his daughter, maybe that would be weird. But you're not. You work in the White House. Stop pretending otherwise. Okay, well, I feel a little bit better. I don't know. I'm just madder than I was when we started. There's just been too much news this week, and I think that's what you're hearing with us. There's just too much to react to. So, like, big picture, zooming out, I'm not sure that we're anywhere new. We have had personnel drama from the beginning of this administration, we will always have personnel drama. Mm -hmm. There have been a number of communications directors under this president. As far as I can tell, none of them have made any difference whatsoever. The president and the attorney general have sparred before, are likely to spar again. I don't think Jeff Sessions is going anywhere anytime soon unless he chooses to resign himself because he is so angry. But I imagine that there are lots of powerful people begging him not to do that. 
So I think it's another week. I do think the Jared Kushner stuff, between John Kelly coming after him and I honestly believe Robert Mueller coming after him, I think this was a bad week for him, any way you slice it. And I think it is will continue to be bad news for him. He's had bad weeks before. Like, I'm kind of mad at myself for getting all fired up about it because, honestly, I just went off the roller coaster. You know, it's just the it's always the same stuff with this administration. Even the meeting about gun violence, as happy as I am that it occurred, I'm still waiting for them to do something on DACA. Yeah. And it hasn't happened. Oh, and that's not de- that's definitely not going to happen now that the court basically removed the deadline. That's not that's not happening anytime soon. I feel so terrible for people personally affected by that legislation because they're definitely not going to do anything on it within the next, I would say, six months if we're lucky. I totally agree. It is completely unfair to these folks. And so here we are. Trump makes good TV. I think what he's making right now is a soap opera. Like you can tune out and come back a couple weeks later and it's, it's all the same, same. storylines. Yep, absolutely. Well, next up, we are going to talk about the Missouri governor and some questions that we got from on Twitter about conservatism. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. We have two listener questions that we want to get into today. 
One, we have a few listeners who live in Missouri who are surprised that what's going on with their governor isn't getting more national attention. So we're going to talk about that for a quick second. And then we will answer a question about the state of conservatism in 2018, which we could probably do, I don't know, a 60-part series on. (laughs) It could rival our series on stuff that we talked about on The Nuanced Life, but we'll try to address it as thoroughly as we can today. So, Sarah, have you been following the story with Eric Greitens? I have. I I think it's been getting a pretty decent amount of national attention, honestly. But that might be because I'm very close to the – I mean, I'm on the western end of Kentucky, so we get a lot of Missouri's news. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we're pretty close to Missouri. So I wonder if that – maybe that's why I'm seeing more of it. But, I mean, I feel like the the arrest and indictment of a governor is a pretty dang big deal. It is a really weird story. Last week, if you haven't been following this, he was indicted on a felony invasion of privacy charge. He had an affair with his hairstylist. Wait, I didn't know invasion of privacy reached the level of felony, so there's a little learning lesson for you. It is in Missouri, and so this is a Missouri state law, and it's a it's important actually what the law says because there's this discussion about whether just taking a photograph or is a is an invasion of privacy or if you have to take and transmit the the photograph. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So he had an affair with his hairstylist. He says it was years ago. It sounds like it was in 2015 when he was campaigning. I mean, I guess that's years. I I mean, I guess. He says that he and his wife have worked through it. This whole situation came to light in January because the ex-husband of the woman he had an affair with confronted her about the affair and taped their conversations without her knowing, without her permission, and then released them to media outlets. So let us pause for a second and say, this poor woman. Yes, seriously tortured in this process. She has declined to talk with any media and media outlets in Missouri are declining to identify her. And I am glad that they're making that that decision. The allegation out there in this indictment is that he took a picture of her in which she was partially nude and which she was restrained in some way, like bound to some exercise equipment. And he says that everything that happened here was consensual. She says that everything was consensual except the photograph, that he Mm. took the photograph of her without permission. And that is the crime for which he has been indicted. What gets a little bit strange here is that Missouri news outlets are reporting that the prosecution doesn't actually have that photograph. And it is unclear whether he ever shared that photograph with anyone or not. There is reporting, and there are all kinds of salacious details floating around about this guy, but there is reporting that he threatened to blackmail the woman with the photograph, that he took the photograph and then said, you will never say anything about this to anyone. That comes from the tapes with the ex-husband. But he has not been charged with blackmail or anything other than this invasion of privacy charge. I don't understand. Here's my questions. First of all, does the husband get some sort of charge of invasion of privacy for releasing all this? It is legal in Missouri to tape a conversation as long as one party to the conversation knows that it's happening. Yeah, it's the same in Kentucky. Okay, and then my second question is, how has he not resigned yet? Well, there are people on both sides of the aisle who have called for his resignation. He just vehemently denies that he did anything wrong here other than the you know, ethical mistake of having an affair. But he says that he did not do this. Now, I have no idea whether he did or he didn't. And we don't know the woman's side of this story, right? Presumably, she is cooperating with prosecutors because I don't think they have a case if she's not. If they don't have this photograph and she's not going to testify, I don't know what they have. Honestly, I wonder if the prosecutor's office is not gotten out ahead of itself a little bit here. If you're going to go after a sitting governor, you need to make sure that all your I's are dotted and T's are crossed. And I just think some of the reporting here is bizarre. The prosecutor's office hired a private investigative service to deal with this instead of using the police department. I don't know. I don't think that he's blameless here and he may very well have done this thing. You got to be more careful than this, I think, when you indict someone. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. That's for sure. Trial set for May 14th. The prosecutors requested that it be set out for November, and the judge said, no, this is a low-level offense. You ought to be able to do what you need to do between now and then, and it's very important to the people of Missouri that this get resolved as quickly as possible, and I think that was a good call. But come on, there's no way he's not hobbled. Missouri is not a super red state. You know what I mean? Like, yep. I don't think that there's any way he makes it out of this. And when is he, due, when is he up for re-election in November? 
So this is a whole interesting question about the Me Too conversation, right? Because this gets to, should he not get through his trial before he loses his job? To what are you entitled? And the thing is, you are entitled to that trial before you lose your liberty Mm -hmm. or before you lose any property. I think it's also true that a public servant, even one who's been wrongfully accused, is a public servant and has to recognize the impact on his or her ability to serve the public when allegations like this are out there, when an indictment is out there. I mean, don't worry, Beth. We'll just get to the due process later. Yeah. Shoot first. Questions later. (laughs) Which brings us to Tom Nichols, an extraordinary figure on Twitter who I enjoy very much. He tweets at Radio Free Tom. He is also an author and lecturer, a very smart guy. And he is a never-Trump Republican. If you follow him on Twitter, you know that he is very, very hard on the Trump administration and takes a lot of heat from the Trump train for that. So he's been asked over and over what it means to be conservative. And here's what he said this week. I don't speak for any conservatives but myself, but I'll take a whack at it since after this CPAC conservative seems to mean unhinged nutbags. And there's nothing conservative about that. I think the basic issue is the view of freedom, human nature, and history. Conservatives start from a position, sometimes too much so, of individual freedom without the presence of the state. Every incursion of state power must be justified. Taxes and laws are tools, not holy writ. We don't see the state as a good thing in itself, some benign entity that is meant to create a better life or institute justice. We think that comes from within each person, and the state is merely an agent that keeps order against the inevitable failures of human virtue. Likewise, we don't think human nature as a blank slate. We don't think of human nature as a blank slate upon which the state can write its own code and thus somehow create a new man. Human nature, for most conservatives, I think, is relatively fixed and prone to sin and failure as well as great virtue. Thus, the state has no right to engage in great projects of reforming human nature. The state is our servant, not our teacher or headmaster. It has no existence beyond our will to support it and our recognition and continuing approval that is acting justly. And he goes on a little bit, but the the point is basically conservatives see the state as inferior to individuals and and servant, not master. And then he talks about how conservatives value history sometimes too much, but he sees progressivism as about tearing history down to create a better future. And he sees conservatives as being more respectful of the past. And he says that conservatism is based in traditional stoicism, valuing prudence and reflection over emotion. In this, we often commit the sin of intellectual arrogance, believing the mind to be superior to the heart, at least until recently. And he ends by saying, so why am I conservative, not a liberal? A few points and then I'll stop. For one, I do not believe in trashing the past is inevitably inferior to the present. Some conservatives take this to an extreme. Irrational nostalgia is a central characteristic of fascism. Second, I reject relativism. I do not believe in infinitely flexible standards of human behavior that must move with history. Yes, some things change and should, but good and evil look a lot like they did 2,000 years ago. Third, I believe in prudence and incremental change. I innately distrust mass emotion and popular movements and believe that intellect is the bulwark against cheap agitation, even when the cause may be just. Finally, I think conservatism historically represented a rejection of the adolescent ego as the driver of public life, instead demanding some sort of civic virtue you as the price of living together so that own discipline could limit the need for state intervention. That is not the end of his thread, but I think those are the final points that we need to cover to be able to respond to our listener question, which was, do we agree with that? And is there space in that worldview to address things like poverty and systemic racism? So I've talked for a while here, Sarah. I will let you start. What's your reaction to reading that as a person who does not identify as conservative? I thought it was really interesting I think it's important to have that perspective at the table. That being said, I guess where I struggle is the idea that, you know, this distrust of popular movements. And my answer to that would be in that sort of the distrust of progressivism and emotionalism and all those sort of isms he threw out, which is the reason people react like that is often, I think, because conservative forces and maybe not just conservative forces, just the forces of human history and of human nature, I would argue, make it so that people feel powerless and feel left out and feel like there's not change. And so that this sort of popular uprising is the only option available to them. It's so funny. I am inherently trustful of sort of popular 
uprisings in that way, I guess. I mean, not always. Clearly, I'm not inherently trustful of this sort of populism fueling Donald Trump. But to me, it's like what I would my answer would be is all those concerns you have about government and the forces that can come to play through government. To me, I feel the same way about society in general and that the status quo and the downside of those in power can be true in corporate America, can be true in religious institutions. I mean, I I think that that's an interesting perspective to bring to any institution. I don't think it's just for government, I guess is what I'm saying. Like those concerns, I feel some of those concerns too, but sometimes I feel them more with regards to our corporate culture or our public education system. You know what I mean? Like I just, I get where he's coming from, but I think it's a very limited view of the problems arising out of government because I think those problems can arise out of many other places as well. I think that I mostly agree with the way he has described conservatism. I definitely agree with wanting the state to be a servant to the populace instead of the master of the populace. And I think most Democrats believe that, too. I think we just have different ways of thinking about it. In fact, I think that all of this, the problem to me is when you take what he wrote, which I think is is very nuanced and allows for a lot of grace. I appreciate that he very often said, and sometimes we go too far here. And that's the point to me, that it's on a range. So I think that you're right. You view the state as one force of many forces that shape society, and you're not wrong about that. And I view the state as one of many forces that shape society and one that has a proven and particular ability to take too much power on because it has more coercive effect than other forces. I think that we have to understand that other forces are becoming more coercive as the world changes. So I don't I don't discount the power of corporations right now, especially as the internet has become so prevalent in our lives. I think that there is some room to be flexible on this. I feel like the reason that you and I find so much agreement, even though we come from different places, is because we both do view it as a spectrum. You can understand mm-hmm. that maybe there is a solution to be found in legislation, but that can't be the whole of it. And I want that legislation to be driven by the rest of what's happening in culture. Like, I think it's a wonderful thing, just to put this in really concrete terms, I think it's a wonderful thing that corporations are making decisions about gun sales and partnerships with the NRA right now. Because I think legislation should follow that, not lead it. Because to me, when legislation follows instead of leading popular sentiment, we are all more likely to feel that it's representative of us instead of coercive of us. I think the problem, though, is I'm worried that corporate movement will be the only movement we get. And I think that's been happening for a while. I think with him, what I was... Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. 
That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Thinking too is his perspective seems very aware of Pat, like the focus on history and the focus on sort of global movements and global influences in history. And I just think the problem with that is it's very hard to see those in the present, right? It's hard to get that perspective in the present moment and know that you're heading in the right direction, especially if you take a conservative, less government to be safe than sorry And the only reason I say that is because I've been thinking about these sort of global issues, the role of technology. I posted an article that it's shown that Uber and Lyft are actually increasing traffic congestion, not decreasing it. I posted an article that in our email that electric utilities were basically built on forever growth, the idea that that our electricity usage would continue to grow, and it hasn't. And so now they're dealing with the repercussions of all that. I was thinking about an article in The New Yorker talking about how these this, the global instability from technology and globalization has allowed an opening for all these authoritarian figures in Hungary and Turkey and Poland and Russia with Putin coming out and saying today that they have increased nuclear weapon capacity. I think that you can think about all these institutions, but you just also have to sort of – and you can think about – The way in which human history stays the same and the way in which human nature stays the same. And I think all that's important, but it's just hard to get a global perspective on what does it mean for all these new technologies that we always don't anticipate the real consequences of those technologies? What does it mean when when the global population feels real instability due to globalization and climate change and technology? And what does it mean with a growing authoritarian influence? How do we adjust for that? How do we see what's coming so that we understand, you know, the proper role of government? And look, I don't think one side has the answer to that. I don't either. And so I think that's why it's important to have one side saying, well, this is no different than what we've been through before. And this is what happened. And there's one side saying, I don't know, I think this is really different. And maybe we need to tear down some of these structures to be more adaptable to our current challenges. It's hard. It is hard. I mean, look, the reason that I still think of myself as conservative in some respect, in the Tom Nichols respect, is because I value kind of the rules on the inside of the box cover. I believe that our structure of government and all of the things that support that structure are flexible enough to meet the challenges that you just described. And I believe that we should not be quick to change those kind of guardrails of democracy to meet those challenges. Rather, I think we are able to navigate them within those guardrails. And I think that you and I are almost always able to find space of agreement because we know that the car needs to keep driving on the road at a certain speed. 
And we, and we need you saying, but wait, we've got to address this and we've got to try this and we need to be getting better and better and better. And we need to be saying, yes, let's get better and better and better while making sure that we don't compromise something that we can't see over the next hill. Mm-hmm. And that's why the Trump administration bothers me so enormously, because I don't see any of that sense in the president. The due process comment is just the latest of a consistent series of examples of President Trump believing that the government should just do whatever the leadership wants it to do. And the president, I think, really reflects sort of the idea of the tyranny of the majority. So I believe in the legislature as a representative body of the people. I also strongly believe in the judiciary as a countermeasure to the tyranny of the majority. So when you ask, can the government be used to address poverty and systemic racism? Yes. And I think that that comes in that combination of a representative legislature tempered by a judiciary that's there to ensure that we are fundamentally treating each other with the level of respect enshrined in our founding documents. So that's my perspective. Like Tom, Tom probably speaks for way more people than I do, (laughs) and I have described my views as gazpacho before because I know that they are not represented popularly anywhere, but I do like the way that he talks about what it means to be conservative, and I hope that people who are enormously frustrated, people who want to just, you know, cancel all Republicans, can find some value in that perspective. I'm not saying everyone needs to adopt it. I believe that we need liberals as well. I hope that liberals can believe we need conservatives as well. Well, because he actually represents a, in his thread, a philosophical values-driven identity as opposed to just a list of policy positions. Yes. And let me add to that, that being values-driven and philosophical does not mean absolute. And that's what I love about this thread. He says, mostly we want to bring intellect to policy. Sometimes we do that too much. I believe our political conversation has been called rational for so long, even though it has been fueled by a very limited set of emotions. And I think bringing more emotions and new kinds of emotions to that conversation is really healthy. So I don't like saying, you know, liberals are emotional and conservatives are intellectual. No, I think everybody is a mix of both of those things. And everybody's been pretty dishonest about that. Yeah. And I'm I mean, I'm so on the righteous mind train for anybody who hasn't read the book. Uh, We read it with our book club last year. The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. It's so good. And he says, even when you think you're being intellectual, even when you think you're being so logical, that is still driven by emotion. You had an emotion, you connected with it, and you used your intellectual capacity to justify it. And I totally 100% believe that. That's not to say that whatever is emotionally driving you is not an important perspective. It just is, listen, we have big monkey brains. They are usually running the show most of the time. So when I was writing my reflection on our Tuesday episode for our Patreon email, I wrote something and then looked at it and thought, well, this is why you're conservative. What I shared is that my interest in the Mueller investigation has increased now that actual indictments are being filed because I am so encouraged by the way that process is unfolding. I don't root for anybody to go to jail. I don't root for people in the White House to be involved in anything that is not above board. What encourages me, though, is that it looks like a team of professionals are doing the work of investigating crime and charging that crime as they have the evidence to support it and negotiating plea agreements. And it doesn't all hang together as some dramatic conflict. Mm -hmm. It's just the work of following the laws of our country. And there's something about that that to me feels settling at a time when very few things feel grounded. I think that speaks to the maybe even just the personality traits that make me more conservative philosophically. Well, it's because Trump has a reality show. Mueller is just operating out of reality. Yes. Well said. Mm-hmm. I hope that partially answers the question. I think that's a very long conversation. Hopefully we hit on something interesting there, and we'll look forward to continuing the conversation with all of you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Again, you can check out our other podcast, The Nuance Life, on your podcast player. I also wanted to say thank you to everybody. You are doing so amazing, and it has dramatically eased our email burden with the putting no response needed if you're just sharing to share. Thank you so much for everybody who's been doing that. We always look forward to hearing from you, and we really appreciate that. And until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all.
Pantsuit Politics, please visit patreon.com forward slash Pantsuit Politics to become a monthly supporter of the show or rate and review the podcast in the Apple Podcast Player. Thank you to our executive producers, Nicholas, Chad, Tracy, George, and Sabrina. Find us on Twitter at Pantsuit Politics, Facebook, and Instagram at Pantsuit Politics. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. You can also hear his work and get more nuance by checking out our podcast on family, relationships, and values, The Nuanced Life.